I think I was quite freaked out when they were babies about the extent to which my freedom and my life was being curtailed, mm-hmm. even though I'd chosen it. And all of a sudden I just burst into tears. Yeah. Because I realised that we'd finally made it. It's such a relief. <laughs> it is. That's exactly, that's the perfect word really, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's a relief. Welcome to Mother Other, a podcast exploring the space between motherhood and our desire for personal development and fulfillment. I am your host, Amy Pearson. This podcast is produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I wish to acknowledge them as the traditional owners. I would also like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hi, welcome back to another episode of season two. I know that in the current state of the world, we're pretty spoiled for choice when it comes to what media to consume at the moment. So the fact that you're even here, you've clicked on this podcast right now is super heartwarming for me. How are you today, tonight, whenever it is you're listening? I am in a pretty excellent state of mind right now because I just got out of the bath. Since the weather turned cold here in Melbourne, I've started this kind of routine thing where I have a bath before dinner on the days that my husband is home from work. It's the perfect place to check out for half an hour for me and read a book, which is the main self-care that I choose for myself. It goes down incredibly well with a wine in the afternoon, so I highly recommend you give it a go. If you're a mother who's listening and you haven't had a second to yourself lately, or if, like me, you're co-sleeping and breastfeeding a little one all through the night, it's a lot. I see you. You deserve a break. In today's episode, I'm talking with a mother whose story is a little different to our previous episodes so far. She's a writer, author, mother of two kids, her first of which was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Melanie Dimmitt is the author of Special, Antidotes to the Obsessions that Come with a Child's Disability, released just last year in 2019. I've read Special myself, and I'm so glad that I did, because what Mel does with her book is something that you rarely see or hear in the mainstream media, which is offer an insight into the realities of parenting children who are living with disabilities. Not having envisioned herself as a mother, it wasn't until she was with her partner for a few years that Mel thought about becoming a mum. She talks about being thankful that she had no expectations for motherhood to live up to for her. Mel and I dive into her motherhood journey, her experience discovering Arlo's diagnosis, and parenting a child with a disability. We talk about learning boundaries as people pleasers, Mel's career and work as a writer, how she wrangles it all with the kids, and so much more. Again, thank you for joining me, and without rambling on anymore, here's Mel now on who she's a mother to. So I'm a mother to two children. I have my little boy Arlo is almost four, and my daughter Odette, who we call Odie, just turned two. So I discovered you through your incredible perspective shifting book. Um, called Special, Antidotes to the Obsessions that Come with a Child's Disability. Um, Reading Special, I learned so much about the way we see and treat people with disabilities and their loved ones. And I'm so thankful that you've written this book and are educating us in these areas, which are still relatively unspoken of in the mainstream, really, aren't they? 
Yeah, thank you so much for reading it. I love that parents who, you know, aren't necessarily raising a kid with a disability are reading it as well because yeah, yeah I think we've all got a hell of a lot to learn in mm, this space. Totally. I think it's important that people like me read it because I think it's really helpful for people with the same experience as you, but I also think people that haven't had that, it's good to get that um, reminder, you know, of the way we see and treat people that are going through these situations because I was surprisingly unaware. I, I thought I was going to be not that unaware, but I was, you know, and it's always Oh, you and me both. Yeah. yeah that's why I had to write. Yeah. I just had no idea. And I think also, you know, a lot of the ways that we cope, you know, as a parent to a child with a disability with, you know, the harder moments and the internal struggles, a lot of the coping strategies are helpful if, you know, just anything unexpected yeah. happens to you in life. So I'm thinking, you know, a lot of the themes and a lot of the the coping strategies are quite universal in there. Mm-hmm. Totally. Had you envisioned yourself uh, becoming a mother before you became one? No. And I'm very grateful for that. I sort of had zero expectations mm. going into this. I was never someone who saw myself as a mother. I didn't really like children or babies all that much. As I was growing up, I'm still quite intimidated mm. by them. Um, yeah, so it wasn't really until I was with my partner, Rowan, for a couple of years that I started thinking, oh, you know, it might might be nice to try and have a baby. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so but I'm quite grateful that I didn't have, you know, very precise dreams yeah. and yeah. about what this looked like because it's looked quite different. Absolutely. And tell me about your journey to starting that family that you have now. Yeah, well, Ro and I um, had recently moved to Sydney because I got a full-time job at a magazine and we'd gone to Europe. Um, we were in Paris to celebrate my 30th and we got found a nice ring and got engaged in Paris and then a week or so after we got back from Europe we were back in Sydney I was like oh period hasn't really done it's very noticeable annoying thing yep um took a test and came back positive we completely freaked out went to the chemist bought a million more tests (laughs) took them all all positive we're like yeah this is happening yeah um we were so lucky you know we sort of thought oh we'll wait and see what happens and it happened straight away um, yeah, and then it was a pretty normal pregnancy. Arlo had a hole in his heart, which was discovered at the 20-week scan. So we were worried about that. We were quite closely monitored. Um, we saw a cardiologist a lot and we thought that was going to be his issue. We yeah. thought, you know, he might have surgery when he was born. Uh, after everything that happened, the, the hole in the heart actually closed up. Oh, wow. Um, so that was an issue. But that's we were a bit worried about that, that um, – Aside from that, it was a pretty normal pregnancy. Um, we were four days past Arlo's due date and he still hadn't come and his movements felt a bit weird to me. They were a bit less, a bit different. And, you know, luckily the midwives had always said to me, if, if you feel a bit weird or the movements feel strange, come in. So we went in, they had a look at him. They, they were like, oh, can't see anything wrong. I do remember there being a kind of strange vibe in the room. Um, but no one could sort of see anything wrong. Yeah. So they said, oh, look, we'll keep you overnight. We'll keep checking in on him. And in the morning, if there's a bed available, we'll induce you. So they kept me overnight. They checked on his heart a few times. It was fine. Uh, the next morning there was a bed available. So Ro and I went down to the birthing suite. 
uh, 8am, we were all connected up to the fetal heart monitor, we're sort of just waiting around for the midwife to go and get her knitting needle or whatever it is oh, to break the water. Yeah. <laughs> and we were just by ourselves in the room and we were bored. So we were watching the, you know, Arlo's heart monitor sort of fluctuate. And we were like, oh, high score, making a little game of it. And then all of a sudden it just dropped like to oh, almost wow. nothing. And we were like, oh, that's weird. So I called the nurse in and she was like, oh, got a stethoscope out and was sort of scrambling about my belly trying to find a heartbeat and couldn't find anything at this point. So emergency button was pressed, a million doctors it felt like flooded into the room and it was very quickly decided, all right, this is going to be an emergency cesarean and they were whisking my bed um, down the hallway oh. into theatre and they put me under, thank God. Yep. And 10 minutes later, Arlo was out. Amazing. So it was kind of more of a rescue mission than yeah. a birth story for that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So wild. And then was it sort of a different experience with Odette? Yes. Thank goodness. <laughs> so, I mean, after what happened with Arlo, we, you know, it couldn't be explained. It was sort of described as a random experience where, you know, he just caught, it might've been the court or something. They yeah. examined my placenta. They couldn't see anything wrong. So they just put it down to being random um, but because of what happened, we still, you know, were very closely monitored with Odette. Uh, we had a lot of scans. There were a lot of opportunities for things to go wrong. Yep. So we were freaking out the whole way through that pregnancy. But with her, we had like a, a very planned, very civilized um, cesarean two weeks before she was due. And it was completely different. It felt like checking into a hotel. Yeah. You know, Ro and I like scrubbed up and <laughs> I went and you know we got to be I got to be awake for the experience of her birth which was so special so beautiful so no very different experiences yeah amazing so I want to talk about your book a little bit so special is your first book and I noticed on the first page you say this is not the book I wanted to write was that was writing a book always something that you'd planned on doing prior to your experience with Arlo's diagnosis yeah, it was something I wanted to do and I'd had this idea, this very original idea of writing a book about the first 100 days of motherhood. Uh-huh. Um, not original at all and I'm glad. <laughs> I don't think I was the person to do it. That's been done very well by other people. So I'd had this idea and I was like, I'm going to force myself to journal every single day for the first 100 days. Mm. So I'd started doing that. Um, which was good but then sort of as the days were rolling on it was becoming very clear that this wasn't going to be your sort of typical um, parenthood experience Mm. yeah interesting how you know this has ended up being my first book and I don't think it could have happened any other way because I was desperate for it and for the amount of work and the amount of sacrifice that it required I think it needed to be something that I just couldn't live without and had to be desperate for and I kind of hope I'm never in that situation again Mm. (laughs) where I never feel that I have to produce an entire book to help myself do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then what about your background in writing pre-motherhood? Can you talk a little bit about that, how that came to be? Yeah. um, So, well, before writing, um, I was trying very hard to be an actress and wasn't very good at it. It's interesting. I heard one of your previous guests. I was just thinking. I, the I writer. Think yeah. so familiar. Yeah. I think that's a thing. Maybe because I love movies and I love characters, I thought, yeah. oh, well, maybe then I should be an actor. And 
failed, missed, tried really hard, like auditioned for, you know, NIDA, WAPA, VCA three or four years in a row, got rejected every time, wow. moved to London, got rejected by RAD, you know, all of the big ones in London as well. So I kept trying. That'd be so disheartening. It was, but it was fun. You That's know, good. I loved it and I learned a lot. And I mean, it's a tough industry, right? It is, it is tough. And I think you have to be really, really good. Mm. <laughs> I definitely was not. Um, but, you know, I loved it because I loved the theatre and films and things. So it was nice being in that space. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I started, uh, came back from London and started writing at a company where I would typeset television guides for newspapers oh. in Melbourne. And it's still going. People are still reading television guides in newspapers. Oh, my God. Are they really? Wow. They are. And <laughs> through that, I got to start writing some film reviews. Okay. And, um, yeah, sort of got into writing those and then would write for free for some like theater review websites where they give you tickets and you go and just send in a little review so that's how the writing kicked off and then I got a job as the editor of Margaret G's Australian Media Guide mm. which I'm not sure that that exists anymore but it was like this big directory of all the media outlets and all of their contacts like journalists editors um, so I suddenly had all these contacts at my fingertips and then a magazine called Renegade Collective started. Um, Lisa Messenger launched it. And I was like, oh, this looks interesting. It's a magazine all about creators and entrepreneurs. And I've got some friends that are doing some really cool things. So why don't I just interview them and send in, you know, mm. these stories? And I did that. And yeah, the editor there, Mel, was like, wow, this is great. Yes, we'll publish them. What can we pay you for them? And I said, you know what, have them that promise me you'll give me more work, like promise me you'll give me people to interview. And they did. And, yeah, I was writing for a couple of other things like a wedding blog and a reptile encounters blog, wow. sort of anyone take me at the time. Yep. But then um, Collective said, look, there's a full-time job for you in Sydney if you're willing to move. So, yeah, my partner Ro and I moved to Sydney and I was working, yeah, at, it was Renegade Collective magazine and then it became Collective Hub. And that's where I was working when we got pregnant and had Arlo. Wow. So then when you became a mother and also discovering Arlo's diagnosis, did you feel at all that you had to put your sort of aspirations or your career on hold? I really hadn't planned to. Yeah. Um, you know, I was writing, doing my journal, planning to write a book, you know, a couple of days after he yeah. was born. Yeah, um, had Had really planned to go back full-time to the magazine I started writing again for the magazine just I think even a couple of months after he was born um so no like things changed we got Arlo's cerebral palsy diagnosis when he was six months old and that's when I realized oh you know I'm going to need to be more available to take him to he has daily appointments with therapists yeah we also we had him in daycare but he was just getting so sick and there was you know I'd, I'd be in the office and getting calls from the carers saying oh you know he's not himself can you come and get him and it was like it was super stressful and one time they rang me and said that and I was like oh god all right and luckily got an uber to his daycare and my uber pulled up at the same time as an ambulance and he was so unwell oh. and um after that experience I was with holding him in the ambulance and I was like you know what screw this I just can't yeah can't work in an office anymore it needs to be flexible so I was super lucky I could go freelance the magazine kept giving me lots of work I you know started writing for other magazines and things and 
yeah, I've been incredibly lucky that what I do can be done yeah. anywhere at any time and in stolen hours and when kids are napping and my partner Ro works in the media too. He's a newspaper editor. So his work is quite flexible and tends to happen in the afternoons and evenings. So mm-hmm. I get the morning. So we've made this work and I'm so damn grateful because I don't know what I would be mm-hmm. without my writing. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And in retrospect now, how differently do you view your career trajectory to what you had prior to actually becoming a mum? Yeah, it's definitely broadened, you know, certainly what I'm writing about. Yeah. Um, I'm writing, you know, in lots of different sectors now. I'm writing about being, you know, a parent to a child with a disability now, which is yeah. obviously very different and working with, you know, incredible companies like Higher Up, which is, you know, a platform that connects people with disabilities to support workers and helping them with some writing. And, you know, I'm still doing um, – a lot of magazine stuff and writing a lot of parenting stuff. Yeah. So it's just really broadened what I'm doing. Yeah. The, the book has really shaken things up. Like that's brought some very cool opportunities. And now that's I'm doing so great. You know, stuff like this and public yeah, speaking yeah. and workshops and author talks. And yeah, so I guess, yeah, the variety has really exploded. Yeah, that's really cool. How about your identity? How has it sort of shifted since you've become a mum yeah I think any parent would probably say things have become a lot clearer and my priorities are really clear now I've gotten better at saying no to things when they don't work for my family or if they're not as important I loved what you said about boundaries as well yeah um they've just become so necessary and even you know just with Arlo and as a parent to a child with a disability, you really have to become an advocate. And I didn't really know what that meant, but it mm. just means putting your foot down. I've become, yeah. I wouldn't say I've turned into a bitch, but I've become a lot better <laughs> at like, you know, saying, nah, this isn't right. I'm ruthless when it comes to Arlo. Yeah, and good. helped me sort of be ruthless in other departments, which mm. is hard for me because I'm a big people pleaser, big perfectionist. Um, so yeah, I, I can relate to that. Yeah, it's been good for me to be a bit more like, no, like this isn't right for me, this isn't right for our family. So that's changed. But it's also made me like a big wuss. I just find I'm so sensitive to things now. Um, Look, I'm still recovering from the third episode of the most recent series of The Crown when there was that horrible. Haven't seen it. Oh, just don't. Can't handle stuff like that now very well. Yeah. Just raise the sensitivity levels. Oh, yeah. Good and bad. Yeah, for sure. It's funny you say that about boundaries because I am also a people pleaser and having a baby, just being a voice for a new person, even that alone, it's really hard to grapple with that at the beginning, right? Like trying to learn that you have to actually speak up for them, even in little situations when people would try and get in their face when you're holding a baby and you have to actually be the person to say, oh, no, please don't get in their face because you could make them sick like it's a really hard thing to learn to do when you've never been that person before and it's awkward I mean we it's so awkward I think especially in our scenario there are moments you know yesterday we were at the bowling club having some drinks with our neighbors and friends of theirs came over and they were lovely and you know my partner Ro was holding Arlo and one of 
the people was like, oh, hi, Arla, you know, what do you like? And I was like, oh, do I say he's nonverbal or do I just, you know, let this happen? And it's like, it's hard to know, you know, you don't want to kill yeah. the vibe, you don't know how they're going to react. So there's a lot of really... Um, it's like managing other people's expectations really, isn't it? Exactly. And you worry that they're going to go down the hole. I'm so sorry. Oh, uh, yeah, like, yeah, Please yeah. don't do that. I mean, I've, it's awesome. And in the area we live, very progressive awesome people around you it's normally fine but you, yeah you do get but there's the always reaction yeah yeah that's right can you ever actually switch off being a mum when you're not with them only when I'm writing I think and when I'm writing something that's not to do with Arlo or being a parent yeah. that's yeah. the only time I properly disappear or maybe in the cinema lucky I live up the road from a cinema that serves wine so sometimes when I'm in there with my wine um I can turn off, but you know what it's like. They're pretty confident mm. up there if they're not it is. in front of you. <laughs> yeah. mm. That's why I'm so interested in that question and I keep asking people because the answers are always a little bit different. Some people are better at it, I think. I find it very fleeting, those moments where I can switch off. It's like it comes straight back. You know, you think, yeah. oh, I have a baby. That's right. I have a, a child Yes, within a few think, seconds of forgetting. <laughs> and I mean, you're still in the early stages. I think when your body yeah. is literally still attached to your baby, when you're breastfeeding and things, it's really mm. hard. Like mm. I noticed a huge difference once I stopped feed, breastfeeding Odie. It took months, but um, yeah, suddenly I'm, I feel like myself again. I feel like I've got my body back to myself yeah. again. And I think that when you're in that sort of attachment phase, it's very difficult to, yeah detach. <laughs> totally. In the book, I love the chapter, Will I Ever Work Again? Because it's quite relevant to the podcast. Um, and the first line was literally, in short, yes, if it suits you, which just is so perfect. Um, and you also say, it's not likely to be a question of whether or not you can work as many a parent before you has proven. It's more of a question of how. Um, so you've told me a little bit about how you're sort of working in stolen hours is that how you work always? Do you have any sort of set days or times that you're able to now? Yeah, look, it's got so much better. At the start, it was very much just whenever I can get it. Um, now, both of our kids are in daycare. Like Arlo oh, is yeah, in cool. three days, Odie is in two days. So I have entire days now to work, mm. which is incredible. And, you know, I was really lucky, like I said, that Rose's work is flexible. So we have always been quite 50-50 on the parenting and it's tricky, you know, and I'm conscious that a lot of mums in my scenario just can't work um, because they are the primary carer. And yeah. there's a lot of appointments and a lot of paperwork and managing the NDIS alone is a full-time job. Um, mm. So, And a lot of the time, yeah, it's this, these things fall to the mum and it's the mum's at the therapy centres and driving around to the specialists and things like that. So I'm in a really lucky and unique position there but we you know I've worked really hard to put supports in place we don't have family close by my family are in Perth Rose parents are in Moss Vale which is about an hour and a half away so they come once a week which is fantastic but other yeah. than that we've had to find external supports um, mm. and they've worked out so well we've just got this little daycare up the road it's just a stock standard daycare and they were just having Arlo no matter what I said to them I was like you still need to bottle feed him you know he's going to be a nappy still sometimes he throws up you're going to have to give him his epilepsy medication and they were like it's fine it's fine we got it they wow that's so great found a place where they hired all the equipment he needs all of his therapy oh. has been in there they've taught them all how to handle him his exercises 
like they have been the best thing we've done for our kids and now Odie goes amazing. there too and they're our family up the road and we love them and yeah because of them I'm able to you know work a lot more now mm, yeah that's so incredible hello there I hope you're enjoying the podcast I'm interrupting you to bring you our first ever ad do you need a new website Nikki from Seedling Digital builds beautiful brands with meaning, custom WordPress websites, and strategic marketing plans for small and medium-sized businesses who are ready to make big growth. She describes her work as a minimalist blend of creative and professional and has a passion for working with women-led businesses. I recently hired Nikki to build a custom WordPress website for Mother Other. With a background in design myself, I had high expectation and a pretty particular vision in mind. Nikki made the process really easy for me and saved me so much time, including building in review software for the podcast and thinking through ways to build income through the website. She enabled me through education and training at Handover and was open to changes to nail my vision. I am so impressed with the overall design. For all of your custom branding and website building needs, get in touch with Nikki at seedlingdigital.com.au. Now back to the podcast. Did you outsource any tasks or chores or utilise the community at all, um, especially in the first year of Arlo's life? Yeah, our neighbours were really lovely. Like they, the present they gave us when Arlo was born was a cleaner to come. Oh, um, that's perfect. And we were like, oh, my gosh, yes. And once we had her, like it probably wasn't the best financial decision, but we've had her come every fortnight now and that oh, that has just really taken the edge off. Yeah. Um, yeah, so no, she's been a huge support. Yeah, other than that, we're sort of looking into, we've started um, using Higher Up, that company I mentioned, support workers. There's a lovely girl called Paige who lives up the road from us and she's a nursing student and she comes and hangs out with Arlo for a couple of hours once every couple of weeks and we've taught her how to feed him and, you know, she's awesome. And I think it's really reassuring to know that going forward, it won't just, we're not going to be the only people on the planet who know how to take care of Arlo. There are going to be other people who will be able to support him. He'll be able to have some independence from us. Um, yeah. So that's super reassuring. What things were lowest on your priority list back in the early stages, do you think? Ooh, it was hard because I really tried to keep everything going and all those oh, things yeah. up in the air. Yeah. Probably having a shower was not all did not always happen every day yeah. for me yeah it's still uh, the same for me yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah no it's true there are still days yeah I mean certain things there were certain things I had to do every day and I would prioritize them over other things like I had to go and get a coffee no matter what mm, I had that's like me actually yeah our, yep. our coffee shop up the road I just had a deal I didn't even need to bring the pram in I would just wave at the barista from the door and we'd have this understanding that they would bring and I'd have the right change or whatever and oh my god that's perfect that had to happen every day I had to read a little bit every day yeah um, sounds very similar so I guess other things you know washing and things would have gone by the wayside yeah yeah and yeah has it changed much to your priority list now do you think yeah, I'm still trying to do everything. Um, yeah. <laughs> I now have more space to do everything, which is good. I've, I'm really bad at text messages. Sometimes I let those go and I just have wonderful oh. friends who understand. And like no chance if you're trying to call me, there's just no chance. But luckily, like if we all have an understanding that that's okay. Yeah. Um, but no, it's, it's getting easier 
to fit everything in. Last year was crazy. Bringing out the book was insane. Um, but this year I see the light. I'm like, wow, we've got lots of daycare. I think things could possibly go a little bit more smoothly. Arlo isn't in hospital as often so far this yeah. year, so fingers crossed. Talking about self-care, there's a section on it in the book. How important is it, do you think, for mothers of children with a disability? It is so crucial. Um, I hate calling it self-care because I think that makes it into something more glamorous. Than I know. It it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. It's hard to like sum it up in another way. It's kind of, yeah. Yeah, like that's why it had to be the chapter head because I'm like, no, you just yeah. can't. Um, it is so, so crucial that you just, even if you don't do anything, even if you just sit by yourself for five minutes. Mm. Um, and I mean, yeah, there are studies that show that, you know, as a special needs parent, your stress levels will be higher. You know, you're more likely to be depressed. Um, so I think, yeah, mm. my God, it's even more crucial. And, you know, a big part of my self-care has been seeing a therapist, my own therapist. Yeah. I just think everyone needs to go to their GP and get an plan. You get your 10 bulk field sessions or whatever a year. Like that's been a huge part of my self-care. But yeah, it doesn't need to be glamorous. Mine is so often just watching really terrible television at the end of mm. the day. I mean, Max is back on, yay. I've been watching like, <laughs> you know, the OC again on Stan. Yeah, like, oh, I love the OC. Stuff that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like glass of wine for me, it doesn't need to be anything special. Just yeah. time when you can switch off, time to yourself. Yeah. yeah. Into someone else's silly life that's yeah. so superficial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the chapter Friends, you discuss how different friendships morphed and changed and sometimes disappeared after Isla's diagnosis. Uh, can you offer advice to listeners who may be friends of those in a similar situation to yours? Like how can they support and be there for you and say the right yeah. things? It's so tricky because I think like one of the mums in my book says you don't have a script to follow. With other babies, you can be like, oh, are they smiling yet? Are they sitting yet? Are they rolling yet? There's not a script to follow always um, in these scenarios. So it can be tricky to know what to say and people kind of, you know, go off into the distance and it gets awkward. So I guess I'd say just try and be normal. Like just be, yeah. yourself, be as you would, um, but really be there, be around, be available, you know, and be available to listen is a, a big one. Like you might not even have to say much, but just be there to listen and support um be careful of you know it's even little things like another one of the mums um I spoke to would say oh people would ask you know of my typically developing daughter oh so how is so-and-so but of her son who has down syndrome they'd say oh so how is he and it's like oh, oh that's up a very tone different tone for the conversation yeah. so just little things like that make a big difference. But yeah, I'd say the main thing is just don't disappear, you know, text, yeah. check in, don't expect to text back necessarily. Mm. But keep inviting me places, keep, you know, seeing how we're yeah. going and ask questions about our kids, you know, like what are they into? What are they up to? You don't need to ask about specifics like walking or anything like that. But, yeah. You know, Arla has a ton of passions that I love speaking about. So I guess keep your questions nice and broad upbeat yeah. normal yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that helps um and you also discuss reframing language in your chapter lingo which is something we all need to work on I love how you frame stuff ups as an opportunity to educate yeah um 
You mentioned that you responded to the knowledge of one child's condition causing him infertility with that's terrible, only to be told it's not terrible. Having children isn't the only way to be happy in life, which I really love. Oh, isn't that the truth though? So (laughs) there are lots of ways to be quite a bit happier. Yeah, (laughs) but you just you just don't think in those situations sometimes. And I think it's so good to sort of um, make that clear. But what are some things that you hope people can reframe in their mind when it comes to the language used? No, oh, it's it's little things and it's stuff I used to say all the time too. You know, I still have friends who say, oh, that's retarded or, you mm. know, and I used to do it too. If my laptop was playing up on one day, I'd be like, oh, my laptop's being a bit special. And yeah, I, yeah right. Yep, it's yep. little things like that. Um, yep. And it's all, it kills the conversation when you pull people up on it. But I just think, it's important because you know my friends would be mortified to think they were saying anything that I was finding. That's right, offensive. and it's kind of good that it makes the conversation a bit awkward because they'll remember and they'll yes. remember that in their like, oh, that was uncomfortable. I don't yeah. want to feel like that again. You know? Yeah, that is the hope. But I mean, people, it's been funny even in like being interviewed for podcasts and things. I can sense that the interviewer was sometimes like. Do I say disability? Do I say special needs? Do I say different yeah. abilities? Do I? And I'm like, oh, just say whatever you feel comfortable with. Like, I'd so rather have the conversation. You know, having been in this space for a while now, like I'm really comfortable saying disability. I wasn't at yeah. the start, like saying disability around, you know, in any reference to my son, I couldn't handle. So I was big on the special yeah. needs. Um, but then, you know, I started started listening to and reading to, you know, the thoughts of adults living with disability and you know a lot of them prefer saying I am a disabled person um they hate the word special needs because they think it's like a euphemism which I think sometimes it is um so I understand that perspective too but I think certainly for parents and for people who are new to this experience in this space just talk have the conversation ask the question we'll figure out the finer details of the language later I think everyone just needs to be patient and understanding here yeah and not take things personally when you're pulled up on yeah yeah maybe take yeah uh what has being a mother to both Arlo and Odette given you whoa resilience Mm. bucket loads Mm. of resilience oh um given me (laughs) very big bags under my eyes we're so tired (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah um a bigger heart my heart is freaking enormous like mm. I didn't think it was possible you know the night before we had Odie's cesarean I couldn't stop crying I couldn't let Arlo go to sleep I just kept hugging him because I'm like I'm never gonna love another baby as much as you why are we even having oh, another baby yeah. what are we doing oh. and then she came along and it was just like heart got fatter it's amazing like the amount of love that's mm. in our lives they make me laugh god they're so mm-hmm. funny like I think entertainment is definitely a good reason to have kids so much and it's given me like such a richer I don't know like this depth of experience and this depth of life certainly you know with Arlo I see more of the world now I yeah. didn't you know I don't know if I didn't want to see or if I just didn't realize you know how prevalent disability is you know one in five mm. Australians have a disability it's you know a huge space and it's full of so much beauty and realness and I just can't believe I didn't have anything to do with it before so yeah the kids have just opened my 
life up and expanded my mind and broadened my experiences. And yeah, it's been amazing, challenging, but really amazing. So what is next? Do you have any more nonfiction work that you're planning to put out or anything else? Oh, not my own. I can't speak <laughs> I'm helping mm-hmm. some other people with some book stuff. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if a sequel would even work you know people asking about a sequel for special but I feel like it's only really at the start of this that our experience is kind of common and there are common themes I feel like as kids get older you get into more specifics and I'm like I just don't know if that would work but I'm thinking of maybe doing some screenwriting and adapting special to some oh, kind cool. of tv series thing or doco or something yeah like that. that'd be um that'd be so good we'll see but at the moment I'm just working I'm just um trying to earn some money after a very busy last year yes not earning much money and lots of book promoting so yeah lots of writing magazines but all stuff I love yeah so it's good and where can our listeners find you or purchase your book online anywhere that you would normally buy books and yeah you can follow um special instagram account which is these yes I love that account underscore book yeah not so great on Facebook but I'm there as well <laughs> yeah yeah I'm the same on Facebook it's a bit of a funny one isn't it yeah I think you're one or the other <laughs> yeah for sure. yeah well thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to chat with me I know you've got a very busy life so yes I'm very appreciative thanks <laughs> so lovely chatting and that's a wrap As always, thank you endlessly for listening to today's conversation. I am so thankful to have you here joining me on this trajectory through mother and otherhood. If you love the show, please do go ahead and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And if you could spare a minute, rating or reviewing the podcast goes a long way to helping this show reach more ears and provide solidarity to other mothers out there who may need a little affirmation or even entertainment in their lives. See you next time.